everyone. Welcome to the weekly recap. My name is Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matlock. We are in Bible Discovery Studios today, uh, and we are going to be taking a look at all of our assigned reading that was assigned to us from Bible Discovery, the program, and also our Bible Discovery guide. That is numbers four to 27. So if you've fallen behind in your reading, we're here to get you caught back up. And if you just want to test your memory, that's cool too. Also, I just want to mention because I, it's still within the first few weeks of uh, the year 2022. Uh, if you prefer the old format where it's just me talking to you, it, you know, in my basement office, that is linked in the description box below. But if you're cool with this new format, then stick around. We are going to start today with Numbers chapter four. Let's do it. Chapter four. Okay. So we were talking last week. We ended in Numbers chapter three where a census was taken of the Levites, and uh, the Levites were a tribe that in Israel that was dedicated to the service of the tent tabernacle. And so in Leviticus chapter 3, we hear that they're broken down into three family groups, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the right. Merarites. So here in Numbers chapter 4, we get a closer look at what those Levitical clans actually did what they were assigned to do in the tabernacle. So the Kohathites carried all the furniture of the tabernacle, but only once the priests had wrapped up those articles, that that furniture. The Gershonites carried the curtains and the ropes and all of of the structure of the tent tabernacle, or the the material structure of the tent tabernacle. And the Merarites, carried the frames and the bases and the posts and the tent pegs and the tools. So all of the, all of the heavier, harder things, they carried those. So that was the divisions Hmm. of the Levites. Numbers chapter five, we uh, read about how the overall purity of the camp was instituted. So all of those laws that we read about uh, back in Leviticus, they're instituted. So the laws about skin diseases and how to deal with sin by confession and making restitution to one another. And how we also learn about how they dealt with suspicions of adultery, uh, basically bringing the uh, suspected adulterer or adulteress before God. Numbers chapter six, we get the ever interesting Nazarite vow. Uh, And this becomes really interesting because as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to read about people who took the oath of the Nazarite. And this is where you can find out what that is, because it's never really explained in detail later on in the scriptures. It's here in Numbers chapter six. So essentially people would dedicate themselves to the Lord for a certain time period. So they would become ceremonially holy by not doing a few normal human things. So these things would be drinking any sort of fermented beverage, eating grapes or raisins. They would not cut their hair or their beards. They could not come into contact with a dead body or else if they did, they had to start their vow over again, shave their head and start again. Uh, Now, people who dedicated themselves to the Lord's service, you know, when we're talking uh, last week, back in Leviticus chapter 27, you could dedicate yourself to the service of the tent tabernacle for a time period, both men and women. They may have had to take a Nazarite vow mm. in order to do that, which is interesting to think about. Also contained in Numbers chapter 6 is the famous priestly blessing that goes, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. That's what God says after right. after that. He's to the Levites, he's like, say this to the priests, say this to the people, and then I will bless them. I will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Uh, so you may hear pastors saying that today, and that's where that comes from. Your dad. Yeah, my dad, yeah. When, when, he, uh, when, when he was a regular pastor, now he's more of an itinerant pastor. He'll just right. give uh, sermons here and there. But when he was pastoring a church, he would say this. At the, the end of like almost every sermon. Every sermon. Yeah. A- every service. Uh, probably every service. Yeah. Definitely every service. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. branded. It's branded into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Numbers chapter 7. This is the tribal leaders of Israel bringing gifts to the tabernacle, specifically six covered carts with 12 oxen to pull the carts. And so this is a little bit interesting. I know these are kind of weirder details, but the oxen and the carts were given to the Levitical clans of the Merarites and the Gershonites to help move the material, like the curtains, and to help move the posts and the tools and the stakes and all of that. But the carts were not given to the Kohathites because they were supposed to move the furniture of the tabernacle on their own shoulders. Mm. All of the furniture, all of the altars and, and, and things like that had poles that they would put them between on their shoulders and and walk them and and this really shows that it was mankind's responsibility to mm-hmm. communicate to god uh, and they weren't allowed to lower this by putting animals in charge of carrying the the yeah. furniture um and we see this this specific rule disobeyed later on in the time period of david with pretty devastating consequences when he tries to move the ark of the covenant not using humans, but putting it on a cart pulled by oxen. And it doesn't go well. <laughs> doesn't go well. Okay, so um, to inaugurate the older, altar, <laughs> older, altar yes. of sacrifice, and then I banged the microphone, altar of sacrifice, each leader brought an offering each day for 12 days. We're also told that there are gold and silver dishes with grain offerings and incense and animal offerings. So all these inaugural offerings. We also get a note here that that Moses would enter the tent tabernacle to speak with God and God's voice would speak to Moses from between the two cherubim Mm. on the top of the Ark and the Covenant, which is very interesting. Very neat. Okay, numbers eight. This is setting up the lamps in the tabernacle on the lampstand. Right. And the inauguration of the Levites for service. So we've already done Aaron and Aaron's sons as the priesthood, but this is just the Levites, the tribe of Levites responsible for the physical tent of meeting itself. Um, Leviticus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 9. This is all about what to do if you become ceremonially unclean and therefore are disqualified from celebrating the yearly Passover that all Israelites were supposed to celebrate. And the answer was not that, oh, well, wait till next year. It was wait and then do it next month. So wait a month and then and then celebrate Passover then. Uh, Numbers chapter 10, we learn about the silver trumpets that were created to signal the Israelites. So this is when they would, um, when should they assemble and move the camp? Uh, the silver trumpets were also for the future battle in the promised land. It was it was all these signals, the trumpeting signals. And we get an example of the Israelites moving their camp here. Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites begin complaining. So we're going to see a lot of this 
and numbers. It's not great. Numbers <laughs> chapter 11. It's the a is, big theme. Yeah. It's a big theme, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. They begin complaining about their hardship. And what this does is a fire breaks out and begins to consume some some of the outskirts of the camp. So mm. a fire begins and is, is burning up the camp and Moses prays and the fire stops. So this is judgment from God. Then the people begin to complain about food. And Moses, in turn, complains to God about his responsibility for the people. Right. Moses has hit a leadership wall. He is done. He basically says to God, I can't do this anymore. Like, I need help. I can't, I can't do this. So God delegates some responsibility and some of his power onto the 70 elders right. of the people. Um, and then God brings a whole bunch of quail. Uh, from the people who were grumbling about food, and then a plague breaks out. Right. And specifically, it says that his spirit was... Oh, the spirit of God onto yes. the elders? Yeah, that's right. So it's really interesting here that what you have is you have this, like, new... Like, when Christ in the New Testament, who's like Moses, as they say, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have Jesus who uh, distributes out the 70 disciples out there, yep. right? And then at Pentecost, he sends out his spirit. You have this very similar um, parallel between Moses and... And Christ, the difference here is that Moses doesn't have the power. Right. Christ does. Um, but I think that uh, there's a lot of room here to even talk about, like, just the fact that Moses, as a leader, desired leadership. He did, yes. right? He was a reluctant leader, and he wanted other people to have be filled with spirit and wisdom, mm -hmm. like the New Testament has it. And he wanted other people, to, you know, to to help out, or I should say just to lead people to proper worship mm -hmm. and proper wisdom and understanding of who God is. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's just, it's, it's fundamental and it's at the very beginning, it's in the law. It's not like it's something that the Christians just made up. Yeah. It's in the very beginning. He wasn't a, Moses wasn't a power hungry guy. No. And we see that. Mm -hmm. And, and I know like you mentioned it too here, like when earlier you had mentioned to me that how interesting it is that two of the elders did not go like to, to Moses, to, right. um, they didn't gather to Moses, but the spirit of God was still poured out on them. And Joshua was like, Moses, make them stop. Yeah. Like they're prophesying, <laughs> but they didn't come here before yeah. you. Like make them stop. This is always like a funny thing in my head. Moses is like, no, like Joshua, like, no, I don't want him to stop. Like I, like, <laughs> more please. Joshua yeah. to stop. Like I, I need this to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need more leadership. Yeah. 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 It's just one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is, uh, it's something to keep in mind here is that like having surrounded by um, a group of spirit-filled leaders who are marked by the wisdom of God mm -hmm. is like part of the the congregation of being a Christian. Like that's the kind of the that's the concept that's being said here. It's not just a one-man show. Yeah. Uh, well, Christ is the one-man show, but in, in our case, we're together as, as the church, mm -hmm. right? It's supposed to be reflecting this and. You see it already here in, in numbers, and I, I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's and there's like good godly leadership, and then there there are those who want to be leaders, but not for godly reasons. And right. those people are starting to to pop up as well. Right. So we see in Numbers chapter twelve, um, the the first challenge that happens in Numbers chapter twelve is actually Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, his priest. And essentially his prophet, right? Because we know that mm -hmm. Miriam is called a prophet and Aaron is the high priest. They challenge Moses' leadership because of his marriage. And this marriage is a little bit um, a little bit mysterious because we're told that Moses had a Cushite 
wife. So there's this big controversy, like, what do you mean? I thought Zipporah was a Midianite. So is this Zipporah? Is this Cushite wife from Egypt? Is this a brand new wife? Who is this? Right. It could be Zipporah. This could definitely be Zipporah. Zipporah, because in Habakkuk 3 verse 7, uh, when speaking of Cushites, it equates them to Midianites. Ah, so it's okay. entirely possible that, that that this is not the normal use of Cush elsewhere in the Bible, because right. that would be Ethiopia, essentially modern day Ethiopia, not the same right. people, but the, the same area. Yes. Uh, but rather it could be a reference to Midian. Right. So this is a maybe, but regardless, uh, the the challenge against Moses's leadership here is ethnic. He had done something that was not supposed to be done. Right. He had married someone outside of Israel. However, we know that this often was done and it was done legally and righteously right. when the person who was not of Israel decided to become a part of Israel and united themselves to Israel through the worship of God, through the worship of the God of the Bible, mm -hmm. then this, this was acceptable. But okay, why now is a big question that everyone has. Like why, why would this become an issue now? Why right. would Aaron and Miriam bring this up now? And if you go back to the beginning of chapter 11 in verse four, there's a claim that it was not the ethnic Israelites who began to complain about complain to God about the food right. that resulted in the quail incident. So maybe everyone was riled up because punishment and death came on Israel and a bunch of those because these whatever group of people they were began to complain against God, mm -hmm. even though they were now part of Israel. So everyone's looking to blame somebody when a tragedy happens, right? <laughs> yeah. So perhaps these people, this group of people became a scapegoat, became right. a punching bag or or someone to blame for the rest of Israel. It, it is a little bit of a guess here, but it, contextually it would make sense. Right. So long story short <laughs> yeah. for Numbers chapter 12, is that Moses's leadership is once again approved by God and Miriam gets struck with leprosy. Moses prays for her. She, we, we find out that she's the main instigator. Yeah. Moses prays for her. She's healed. But God says, you are still ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and you must live outside the camp for seven days. Right. And so they wait for her. They don't move on in the wilderness. They wait for her for seven days till she can join the camp and then they move on. Right. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. But something else here <laughs> that kind of always got me when I was reading the Bible mm -hmm. growing up was that we know that, according to tradition, that Moses is the author of Numbers. And yeah. then it says, Moses oh, was the most yeah. humble guy in the face of the earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, he's right even in the third person. It's one of those things that's kind of funny. But, you know, there's a, I think there's a couple reasons for this, I think, that are just pretty obvious. One, you have a whole bunch of editors um, – that come late at later, even like Joshua who writes yes. and edits, right? So even if Joshua added this into the text, hey guys, just to write this in, that's one option. I think that's probably the most viable. I think so too. Um, but two, I think even if Moses did write this, I think one thing that our culture has kind of forgotten is that accuracy and humbleness go hand in hand and self-deprecation isn't humble. In other right. words, so there's like self-deprecation is kind of just like, oh, I'm so dumb. Well, it's kind of like you're like embellishing like something. Right. Okay, so it's like, okay, like if someone were to be like, oh, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I can't do this. Or it's like, I'm not worthy of doing this. It's like, okay, well, hold on a second. 
you're just like putting yourself lower because you know by putting yourself lower, you could put yourself on top. Right. Um, so it's self-deprecating doesn't necessarily always go hand in hand with humbleness. Like accuracy, Moses is saying, I'm not worthy because that's an accurate statement. Yeah, he really believes, and that, he yeah. really doesn't want to be the leader of Israel. He's right. proven this over and over. He's like, how many people can we get in here to help me? That's right. Truth and accuracy are like valuable, right. invaluable in the Christian world. It's not like just balancing your values to get, you know, some sort of human appeal. Right. Uh, which is what self-deprecating a lot of the time is. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not good enough to do this. It's like, well, what if you are good enough? What if you actually are the most humble guy in the world? You're just being right. – this is just a factual statement. Uh, but also more than this, I think it's referred to – it's like verified like we saw with God here. And later on we're going to read about it. It gets verified time and time again that Moses is the true reluctant humble leader. He doesn't want to be the leader. But Does he's doing it, it for other people. He constantly yeah. intercedes for them mm-hmm. on their behalf when they're being judged. And God's like, listen, I can make you great and I'll destroy all these guys. He's like, no, 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 no. Like you brought them out of Egypt, right? Long story short, not to drag this on for too long, but um, uh, accuracy and truthfulness is integral to humbleness. And I don't think we should look at it any other way. That's it. That's that's my point there. <laughs> <laughs> Modern point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Numbers chapter 13. So. Moses, on God's command, sends out 12 men to explore the land of Canaan uh, and, and, you know, to bring back the fruitfulness of the land. Go see how amazing the promised land really is. Uh, And when they come back, we learn that Caleb wants to go in, uh, one of the 12. He He wants Israel to go in now and take it. And we learn later that Joshua also was one of the 12, and he also wants to go in and take it. But the rest of the men do not. They do not think it's a good idea. They don't think they can take it. Their numbers are too small. Their fighting men are too mm-hmm. weak in numbers in order to take this over. So in Numbers chapter 14, Israel begins mourning because their whole purpose now, 10 of the men have said, like, it's it's a lost cause. We can't do this. And so Israel, want, as, as a whole, they want to choose a new leader who will lead them back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes in public mourning, and they begin to try to convince the Israelites not to rebel against God and against Moses' leadership. And this is such a serious divide that Israel's like, okay, well, I think we're going to have to stone Caleb and Joshua because they're going to split. They're going to split our new decision. Mm. Um, So the only thing that, that stops this division is the glory of God appears and it interrupts this big fight and this chaos and essentially says, you know, you're not going in now. I'm not going to be with you. You would have been able to take it over, but you're not, you're, you can't now. Now you have to wait. You're going to, you're going to be 40 years in the wilderness and all of you old guys and old gals who came out of Egypt, you're going to die in the wilderness and it's going to be your kids mm. who are able to go in. Um, immediately they're like, oh, okay. Well, we'll just go in. It'll be great. It's okay. We trust you now. We'll go in. It'll be great. Um, So they go in without Moses. They go in without the Ark of the Covenant or the tabernacle, and they get beaten bad. So that's Numbers 14. Mm. Numbers chapter 15, uh, we're told that grain and drink offerings were to accompany burnt offerings. So it, it... slides back into a little bit of accounting work here for for the tabernacle and what to do or what sacrifice to give when 
the community unintentionally sins or when a person unintentionally sins. We see a Sabbath breaker being put to death. So someone who was working on the Sabbath knowingly is put to death. Um, and then uh, the Israelites are also told to wear tassels on their garments as signs uh, to follow God right. and to be holy. So as visual reminders. That one guy just gathering wood, honestly. I don't know if, he's, got, I don't know if he's gotten the hint yet that you should. <laughs> that things aren't going well for everyone who's just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, but, uh, he, yeah. he clearly just, just didn't care. Just, yeah. Because if it was an accident, he would have been able to offer, offer a sacrifice and, well, and be right. good with it. But he apparently did not repent. He apparently yeah. was just like, no. Also didn't get the hint either. I'm doing just... what I'm doing. <laughs> I know. Not, not a good attitude to have. <laughs> no. Numbers chapter 16, this records Korah's rebellion. So the rebellions continue. So Korah was a Levite, but he also had Reubenites, so people from the tribe of Reuben also backing him. He had 250 community leaders join in his rebellion. And essentially, they wanted to overthrow Aaron and Moses. Mm -hmm. uh, but specifically Aaron, Korah wanted to take the priesthood from Aaron uh, as a Levite. Like He was a Levite. He was holy too. His people were holy. He wanted the priesthood from Aaron. Um, so this is after that failed attempt to going into the promised land. And so there's this, this big, emotional, dangerous kind of whirlwind that right. happens after this. Uh, people even begin saying to Moses, like, do you want to treat these men like slaves? Like, you rescued us from Egypt. You rescued us from out of slavery. And now, essentially, you're making us slaves again. We just have to follow you. We just have to follow Aaron. We just have to follow God. And the result of this is there's a big earthquake. And the ground splits open. And we're told that so these 250 community leaders yeah. are told to offer incense in censors, so fire in censors right. before the Lord and, and God would judge like who is the proper right. priesthood. And the fire from the censors jumps out and consumes these 250 men. And we're told that the metal from their censors, which was bronze, was actually beaten out into sheep, she, she, sheets, <laughs> into sheets, and it was used to overlay the altar. Wow. As a physical reminder right. that only God's priests could offer sacrifices. Well, I think there's something here too that even the intention here coming in, because you, I think a lot, you modernize this from a modern perspective, I guess, is that you know so two guys running the show, people are like, "Look, we're holy, we can do this." Like, why are you getting like, why are mm -hmm. you the ones doing it? That's part of the accusations. But what's interesting is they completely miss the point of what it means to be holy. Yeah. They specifically say the community is holy. We are holy. It's like, hold on. No, 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 no. As we just talked about last time, there's a substitute for your sins, right? Mm -hmm. The animals, even the garments. Uh, you're not holy. God's holy. God is what makes you holy. And so it's kind of like they had this misguided understanding that their actions or that their uh, their rituals or somehow the process, what makes them holy, yeah. as opposed to it being God. And then they challenge them. And, and time and time again, God verifies Moses' authority. And Aaron's. And, and Aaron's authority. And Aaron's, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just one of those things where it's, that's that misguided understanding of what holiness means, as if uh, it can be absent of, of but, God. Yeah. And, and then when we don't get our way, our reactions can be downright dangerous. Yeah. This is what's happening. They didn't get their way. 
You know, they 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 were like, no, nah, we're not going into the promised land. We're right. going back to Egypt. And then that didn't happen. Yeah. And and then so then they went into the promised land without God, and that didn't go well. And so and they're just angry. Things aren't going their way. Yeah. They're not happy about it, and they want to change the system, and they don't care if they're right or not. Yeah. They've, they've deluded themselves into thinking that they're right, yeah. that they're more righteous than Moses and Aaron who are just trying to listen to God at this point. And God's like, look, I meet with other people in dreams and visions, but I meet with Moses face to face. Yeah. It's like, this is like, it's like I'm, and I'm very clear. I speak with him plain, basically as clear as I can, right, with mm-hmm. Moses, plainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with other people, I speak more cryptically. Um, which is really interesting in itself that that's part of the the authority designation process. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say at the end, at the very end of Numbers chapter 16, even just with these community leaders who are leading the rebellion getting killed, it doesn't stop the discontentment within the wider community. Right. Because we're told that the community at large still grumbles against Moses and Aaron and, and they they accuse them. They're like, you've killed the Lord's people. Like these men loved God, and they probably did, but they were they were mis maybe they were misguided. Right. Like it was bad. They were misguided, and God was like, "No, nope, this is the beginning of my nation. There's a certain way we have to do this, and you just agreed to do it this way, and right. now you're all freaking out." Right. Right. So the the community is like, you've killed the Lord's people, and plague breaks out. Right. And has to be, and and is eventually stopped. Yeah. Well. Numbers chapter 17. So God's chosen leadership is now demonstrated once again in Israel, but this time in a positive manner. So less death, (laughs) more growth. (laughs) There's already been the negatives of natural disasters killing all all the rebels and fire, right? Right. So one staff for each of the tribes uh, is placed before God in the tent tabernacle uh, with the name of the tribe carved into the staffs. And overnight, Aaron's staff produced almonds. Like from from a stick to fully ripe almonds. Uh, And I recently did a segment that's going to be appearing on the Bible Discovery TV program on the symbolism of almonds here. That it, it, there's a biblical symbolism that begins here in Numbers chapter 17 and continues on through the scripture. Numbers chapter 18. So this is all about the portion of offerings that Aaron and his sons, so the priesthood, were to have as their inheritance. Um, They were to forever serve God and not have a normal inheritance like the rest of the Israelite tribes. So the rest of the Israelite tribes would inherit land. So that was their, like God would give them land in the Mm -hmm. promised land. Not so much the the for Aaron and his sons. Their inheritance was the portion of the offerings. Right. Numbers chapter nineteen, we get the water of cleansing. So this is the red heifer sacrifice, and it was used to ritually cleanse someone who uh, came in contact with a dead body, um, and also like a tent after someone had died in it. This water would be used to purify it. Numbers chapter twenty. Miriam dies at the place called Kadesh, and she's buried there. Uh, the people here at Kadesh, they run out of water. And this, this is the very unfortunate occasion when God tells Moses to speak to the rock, but instead Moses hits the rock twice with the staff that he took from the Lord's presence, meaning the tabernacle, meaning that this was Aaron, probably Aaron's budded staff mm. representing leadership. So perhaps Moses is saying, must we bring water out of this rock? Right. So he's, he's, he's not following God's instructions here. He's hit, instead of just speaking to it, he's like hitting it with the symbol of Aaron's authority. So Moses is done. 
Yeah. Moses is done at this point. He is just angry and beyond it, and he's going to get in trouble for this. Well, yeah, he doesn't enter the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing yeah. God, God's authority over his leaders, his appointed leaders, is so much harsher. His judgment and his... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so much harsher because they should know better. But at the same time... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. So at the same time, even though it's still harsher, his, his grace and mercy still understood amongst mm-hmm. the leaders as still being way more profound than something of man's mercy. Let's yeah. Say. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Moses was in a position to lead and he knew that. He right. knew the responsibility that he had and he knew God better than anyone else did yeah. of his day and age. And yet, this is rough. Yeah. It was a rough one for him. High responsibility. Yes. Okay, so also we are told that Aaron dies on Mount Hor and his son Eleazar takes over as high priest. So he would have inherited all of his clothes. Uh, Numbers chapter 21, the king of Arad attacks Israel and captures some of them, but then the Israelites go after them and completely destroy Arad. We get this weird bronze snake scenario. Uh, So the people begin complaining that they hate manna, this bread from heaven that God miraculously provides for his people. And so God sends poisonous snakes. So they're, they begin the fiery they're serpents, infested yeah. with poisonous snakes and they, they begin dying from these snake bites. So Moses prays and God's, God tells him this very weird thing. Build a bronze snake on a pole and hoist it up for the Israelites to be able to see. Um, and whenever the Israelites will look upon this bronze snake, they will be healed. Mm. So essentially we see this look at your judgment, look at your judgment. It's this acknowledgement of your sin, this yeah. acknowledgement of your judgment. Um, and and that, that will be enough to save you from this particular judgment, which is interesting. Very interesting. Uh, let's see what else. Okay, so Sihon, king of the Amorites, attacks, but Israel captures all of the city of the Amorites, and they occupied them. So at this point, they have a little bit of land here in the wilderness, the land of the Amorites. They do the same thing with Og, king of Bashan. Mm. Numbers chapter 22, Moab is nervous now that the Israelites have <laughs> taken over a couple lands. So they hire a prophet named Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam's like a spiritualist. He's right. a, I wouldn't say medium, but he's definitely a spiritualist. So Balaam asks God once, no, you can't curse Israel, is the response. So Balaam asks God again after more officials come to him with more money. And God says to Balaam, this time, okay, you can go, but you're only allowed to say what I say to you. Uh, That must have not gone over very well because the angel (laughs) of the Lord stands in Balaam's way. Like God can read, God knows Balaam's intentions here. The angel of the Lord stands in Balaam's way, ready to kill him. And only Balaam's donkey can see the angel of the Lord. And so he keeps veering off the road to not die by this, to not let Balaam die. And after beating the donkey, Balaam's beating the donkey, the Lord opens the, the donkey's mouth to speak to Balaam. And the donkey ends up being more spiritually sensitive <laughs> than this great spiritist Balaam is. Which is ironic. We'll, we'll talk about it after. No, go yeah. ahead. Which is ironic because from what I understand, archaeologically, Mo- there's been like excavations at Moab. Or is this around? Uh, or Arnon is Valley, it? if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Right. It's, it's, it's around the area. You can yeah. carry this on. This is your thing. I'm just re- resurrecting. Dear Allah, I'm trying yeah. to remember the exact location. But essentially, like their uh, spiritists would... If you could speak with animals, 
Oh, this is a different thing. I thought you were talking about like the actual evidence of Balaam, son of Beor. Oh, well, hold on. You could. <laughs> All right. Well, You're like, wait a second. Yeah, I didn't know about this, but yeah. There is a tradition, okay, and and I don't have sources for it right now. But if you are able to look up, I, I would use academic resources like academia.edu or JSTOR or something like that. Um, there was, there's, I've heard of a tradition of um, spirit, like very spiritual people in the ancient world being able to talk to animals. Like that yes. was one of the signs yes. of them being very spiritual. But in this case. The donkey knows more. Well, than that's Balaam, what makes it ironic. Yeah. It's so ironic because he was supposed to be able to speak with animals, and that was that's what made him so, you know, intimate. But he's not as spiritually powerful. If the animals are telling him, "Hey, listen, hey, hey dude, so I just saved your life." Yeah. So it's actually yeah. kind of like a like a like a smack in the face. Not definitely. really, but yeah, but to his no, culture, it definitely was right. So, anyways, but that's interesting. But the, I didn't know what. Yeah, go ahead. There's archaeological evidence for the person of Balaam, son of Beor. So, um. There, there are inscriptions talking, like pagan inscriptions talking about Balaam right. as a spiritual man, as a prophet, as right. a seer. Um, well, there we go. There we go. There we go. That's so interesting. Yeah. So he was known. I mean, he he just he's a pagan character that shows up in the Bible. Yeah. He was famous in the pagan world. Shows up in the Bible. He's not just from the Bible. Right. Okay. Right. Numbers chapter twenty three. So Balaam conducts this big sacrifice first. There's seven altars and there's fourteen offerings <laughs> on each altar. Like go big, right? Yeah. He's like, let's make this. They're paying me a lot of money. Let's make this a good show. show. Make this show, good, yeah. right? And God gives Balaam a message for Balak, the king who had hired him. Uh, and Balaam blesses Israel rather than cursing him. He they, he ends up blessing Israel. So. The king's not really happy about that, so they try again, a second time from a different location. Maybe maybe they were trying to find a more favorable version of God. We're not sure. More <laughs> favorable spirits, circumstances. They do the same thing, seven altars, 14 sacrifices, but Balaam, unfortunately, blesses Israel again. Mm. Chapter 24, one more time, they try again in a different place. Same drill, new seven altars, but this time... The scriptures say that Balaam did not use divination. He 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 went to do it, but but the spirit of God overwhelms Balaam anyway. Mm. Like he doesn't do the divination. Spirit of God overwhelms him and he blesses them. So maybe this time Balaam's like, I'm gonna curse them, but I'm not gonna curse them when I'm talking to God, because he's not letting me curse them. So he's like, Okay, I'm not gonna deal with God. And then God overwhelms them anyway. He yeah. blesses them. So then there's four more prophecies that are given here in chapter 24, this time of his own visions, the destruction of Moab, uh, Amalek, the Kenites, and the people from the sea. So it's interesting. Yeah. And then the one messianic one, yeah. which is scepter will arise from Israel, mm -hmm. or I think Judah specifically. Anyways, the Davidic and messianic monarchy is pretty much hinted to at here. I can't get into it now. Running out of time, but yeah. <laughs> but it is cool. Yeah, it's very at. cool. Very cool. Okay, so in Numbers chapter 24, the Israelites begin indulging in sexual immorality with the with Moabite women. So the king of Moab has tried to hire Balaam. It hasn't worked out. So now the Moabite women are enticing the Israelites. And we learn later that this was actually a tactic suggested to the king of Moab by Balaam. Essentially, get get your women to invite the Israelite men to worship services that included um, sacrifices and, and fellowship styles and meals and, and, and all of that. And Israel was bowing to these things. They were eating, they were participating in these pagan worship festivals. And what ends up happening 
is a plague from God. God allows a plague. And one of the sons of Aaron, whose name is Phineas, kills an Israelite man who flaunts his relationship with, with a Midianite woman. Mm. Like in front of everybody, he's like, I don't care. I, I am now Midianite. This is what I'm doing. And Phineas kills him. Mm. Numbers chapter 26, there's just two more chapters here. There's another census right. um, of everyone all the males of Israel 20 years old and up, but it, this time it's that next generation of right. Israelites that are ready to take over the promised land. And we're told that the land allotments in Israel will be based on the tr these tribes of Israel and the numbers that right. they're getting from the census, and it's going to be decided by lot. And scholars do think that this chapter specifically uh, the, of the second census, mm -hmm. this is who the target audience is of the whole book. Right. So Moses is writing it towards these people right. as opposed to the first census of Numbers 1. Right. Uh, which it would explain like the tone you know, and, and everything like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, this is your history. Right. This is where you've come from. Right. Like your, your parents came out of the Exodus, but this is your history now. Right. And now you're moving into the promised land. That's right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so last chapter, Numbers chapter 27, this is about the five daughters of Zelophehad. Probably not saying that right, but I'm trying my best. Uh, they were from the tribe of Manasseh, and they come before Moses because they don't have any brothers. And this was a problem for the way that inheritances were divided. They, they normally went down to the sons of the father. Their father died in the wilderness, and, and they even say to Moses, you know, he died in the wilderness for his own sin. But now he's not going to get an inheritance in the promised land. We want to inherit his portion and then pass it on to our children. And God says yes. So a new inheritance order is established. Um, for, like It goes to sons. It goes to daughters. Then if there's no sons or daughters, it goes to, bro to the brother mm -hmm. of the person. Then if there's no brothers, to the father's brothers, meaning the paternal uncles, and then to the nearest relative. So there's just this legal structure that's established. And we're told the end of Numbers chapter 27 uh, that Joshua was to become the new leader to replace Moses and to lead the people into the promised land because Moses isn't going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Right. Um, so Joshua is commissioned and he's given responsibilities right away as this new leader here in Numbers 27. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's it. So that's it. We recap numbers 4 to 27. Lots more to come next week. If you have any questions or comments, put them in the comment boxes below, and we'll get back to you this week. I hope you have a really good one. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.